Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, welcome back to Guatney Unplugged. Hope you're having a great Saturday. You hear our next guest all the time on KRN 102.9. And uh, Kevin Carr is where you've heard the fat guy in the movies. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I, I'm good. Uh, I, You know, we only get to hear you like five minutes on Fridays or whatever it is that I always hear you. But I, I'm hoping that, that the listeners can learn a little bit more of your background and how all of that came to be. Where, where did you grow up exactly? Well, I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, right in the center of the state, still live there. Uh, I've, I've, I've gone, I went to school in Bowling Green, but I didn't go very far. So it's, it's I'm pretty much an Ohio boy. You're, you're, honestly enough, I, I got a degree in teaching secondary education, but I never did. I ended up uh, taking a very different career path out, out of college and uh, settled onto the movie reviews. <laughs> what What is the first movie you remember seeing in a theater? That is so impressionable. It, it, it is. It's, it's really tough to remember exactly what it was because I know my parents took me to a bunch of like kids' movies, cartoons, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think probably the one I remember the strongest that has the biggest memory is Star Wars. I was five when that came out. Uh, and then, of course, you know, def- defined my childhood in the 90s, uh, 1970s. Oh. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know I'd been taken to, you know, like uh, Disney movies, you know, Dumbo reissue or Pinocchio or something like that. Uh, in fact, there's a famous story in my family that my, my father was in the bathroom with me and it was the exorcist was playing and some guy had come in the bathroom and passed out and uh. knocked over a trash can. And he thought I had knocked it over. Cause I was like two at the time. <laughs> uh, they weren't taking me to see the exorcist. They, we had seen something like a Disney movie or whatever, but yeah, that, 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 that's one way I can date around when that came out. We were about the same age when we saw star Wars. I remember seeing the 76 King Kong in the theater. And still just love that to this day. You know, to me, like when you talk about seeing Star Wars, these Disney things, so much of movie, loving movies is tied to the memories of the people we love that maybe aren't around anymore. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. It's it's about your childhood. It's what you did with your family. When your biggest uh, concern was, are you going to get to the movie theater on Saturday? You know, and... Uh, and, and even back in the 70s, uh, there's uh, very different than it is now where you get streaming and even before VHS, uh, you know, back in the 70s, if you wanted to see something, you, you kind of had to go to the theater to see it, you know, or wait for it to show up on TV and you'd watch it across the room on a 14-inch television that's black and white with commercials on it versus going to see it in, uh, you know, sort of like these retro screenings or when they bring movies back around or like Star Wars, which they re-released every year after it opened a lot of people don't remember that when a movie made it on the tv it had a special cut i know superman had a longer cut it was like a sunday night and a monday night king kong 76 has a a tv cut they don't they don't do that anymore they 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 have that uh, i guess that's more reserved for like dvds and blu-rays i mean stuff like the Lord of the Rings movies have the extended cuts, and those come out on Blu-ray. And that's usually uh, the the director's cut uh, type things come out a lot, especially if there's a director who tends to uh, run long with his prints, and they want to you know cut it down to under two and a half hours or something. 
so those things still exist, but they don't. It's not for the TV. Uh, but but yeah, like you know, like like the King Kong. But they made a big deal out of that. And oh yeah. That that seventy six King Kong. They just had a re release on Blu Ray, and that movie. Uh, the the Blu-ray actually has both versions of the yes. film presented in that way because it was such a big deal and such an uh, you know it was a it was an event for TV to watch. I think it was about milking and getting more commercials inside of a movie to play it over two <laughs> nights. Because if you think about it, Kevin, when you watch like the Superman cut that was for TV or or mm-hmm. King Kong, there's a lot of like terrain shots and things that are just held on longer where they could choose to fade the black at any time, you know? Well, and I, I remember when star Wars first was aired on television yes. sometime in the eighties, I believe they blocked out four hours for that. And the movie itself is right around two hours. So yep. they had two hours of commercials and interviews and extra content. Yeah, you're right. They did milk it back in, but also back then you weren't competing against, not just VHS, but DVD and Blu-ray and streaming and the internet and TikTok and all these other things that uh, the, the the noise that's in the background right now. One hour back, back behind the scenes specials were a big deal back then. Oh yeah, again, those have all moved to DVD and Blu-ray as yeah. special features, and you can still get some of those special features on streaming, depending on what service you get and what package you get. Uh, but but yeah, the they don't do as many behind the scenes stuff uh i mean the broadcast has changed considerably as a movie platform uh, and it seems to be more of a dumping ground at this point yeah tell me uh how did you get into reviewing movies well i like to tell people that i i just sort of declared myself emperor and uh started doing it and that's really what it is i've always liked watching movies and telling people what i think so it was sort of this convergence of what i like to do And uh, I just started doing it. I started writing stuff for a website that doesn't exist anymore. And back, oh gosh, about 20 years ago, and then I started to develop my own site. Uh, I ended up becoming a Rotten Tomatoes critic and uh, writing lots and lots of reviews every year, every week. And over the years, moved into radio and uh, found that that's even more fun to just tell people what I like. I don't have to actually write at that point. And uh, it, it just kind of grew from there. How do you kind of like force yourself to watch genres of movies you don't care about? Well, that, that can be a challenge sometimes because everybody gravitates towards what they want. Nobody goes to see a movie and be like, I hate romantic comedies, but I guess I'll go check this out in the theaters. Yeah. Uh, what I, I, I just found that it was you treat it like a job, and it's it's important to do that because it resets your barometer. If you're not somebody who likes to take an example of one that gets very polarizing, romantic comedies, I tend to like them myself, but I know there's a lot of people who don't. But you've got to go to those because then you can see enough of them and be like, okay, there's some that are better than others, and there's a range, and there's a formula, sure. Uh, but if you're forcing yourself to watch movies you wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards, it will allow you to then say, well, this movie in a genre I particularly like wasn't my favorite, but it's still better than this. And then you you, you tend to rank things differently. They don't have enough shootouts and car chases. I mean, that's <laughs> what I've done. There's around there. <laughs> 
Kevin, let me ask you about something because today, you know, Hollywood doesn't like to take a risk. You know, all movies are kind of formulaic. You've seen it all before. And so there's not a lot of originality because they want a bankable script. So you don't get these classic movies. I mean, can you think of movies that would never be greenlit today that are just considered, you know, primo? Well, I mean, I, I think that that's, that that's something you hear a lot. And I believe it's both true and not true. Because first of all, you know, back in during the studio system, especially if you look at the studio system in the 30s and the 40s and in the 50s, it was very cookie cutter. I mean, you talk about stuff that wasn't original at all. Uh, you, you've got... Cereals. Uh, you, how many Hopalong Cassidy movies were yeah. there? And they Flash were all the Gordon. Same story. Yeah. You know, Flash Gordon, Charlie Chan, all these different movies that, that, so there was always this bankable development. I think when you get the stuff that's new, it's, it comes out of the fringe and comes out of the independent stuff. Uh, and, and that stuff is absolutely still happening. You just may not see it as the top box office draw of of the year you know i mean there, there's some very innovative unique and different stuff but it just doesn't get widely seen uh, but but on the same token you're right to be given 100 120 50 million 150 or more million dollars they make a movie they the studio system wants to have some sort of track record with that which tends to feed that monster itself yeah that's true um, built-in thing hey we're talking with kevin carr here on guatney unplugged Hear him on Fridays and stuff here on 1029, reviewing all the latest things. Where's that name come from about fat guy at the movies? Uh, well, have you seen a picture of me? No. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's accurate. We'll just, we'll just say that. Well, I um, mean, all you eat is popcorn and candy. I mean, you're at the theater all day. You know, you know it, it, it gives me something to live up to, I like to think. Uh, but on a more serious note, um, what ended up the the reason I I picked the uh, fat guys at the movies, a I've always loved the name at the movies, you know, with Roger Ebert, oh, and of course, Fiscal, yes, you know, going going back to which was actually they they started sneak previews on uh, PBS, but then they moved to a, a syndicated model where they can uh, charge advertising. And I was like that the movies, but you can't just rip that completely off. And I have to say, the, the original co-host of Fat Guys at the New Movies was a guy named Neil Miller, who runs a website called Film School Rejects. And it was Neil that came up with the idea, and, and we were thinking Fat Guys on film. And so then we said, Fat Guys at the Movies, that's nice. It, it, it's it's a little bit folksy. It's not too pretentious. Uh, it's self-deprecating, and, and that's kind of where this... Just this little sitting around drinking coffee late at night type idea came from. Are there a lot of stations that you're on where, you know, like we hear you on 1029, do, do, are there stations similar things across the country? Oh, yeah. Fat Guys at the Movies, it's heard on more than 100 stations coast wow. to coast. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's, it's got a pretty big footprint. I like, I like to think that people hear my voice now and then and don't roll their eyes as much as my wife does. <laughs> so I, you know, this is an important question here. Who's your favorite James Bond and what's the favorite Bond film that you have? Oh gosh. Now see, that's a loaded question. I know you're talking 50 some years. Yes. I would say this. I think everybody, whoever your first is, is you're going to have a certain affinity for. I grew up with Roger Moore as, yes. as James Bond. And 
so as I tend to gravitate towards him as the fun James Bond. Now, of course, as I grew up, I I really be, I've obviously appreciated Roger. Moore, uh, excuse me, uh, Sean Connery, and uh, you know e- even you know Pierce Brosnan's portrayal of him, you know, sort of level of Timothy Dalton. So everyone I kind of liked, with the exception of George Lazenby, because he was lousy. But um, but I do think that uh, for myself. There's that uh, first time seeing him and growing up with like Your Eyes Only and Moonraker and Octopussy. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I got. I gotta say, I really did enjoy Roger Moore. Now, favorite, ah. favorite Bond movie? That's tough because the Daniel Craig movies changed it so much. Yeah, I think like pre Daniel Craig, I'd probably be looking at. For your eyes only, maybe as as one of my favorites. That's also, a really from good Russia one. with love is quite good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the hardest questions. I, I'm with you on the Roger Moore thing. Pierce Brosnan, Golden Eye was phenomenal, and it seemed like everything he did after that was just forgettable. I don't know. It gets a little goofy with yeah, with Pierce, but then again, that's that's okay. I mean, that was the that was the. Uh, Austin Power era. <laughs> yeah. Are, Kevin, are there movies that you know they're bad, but you really love them anyway? Absolutely. Yeah, that's p- part of movie watching isn't just watching for quality. You know, it's sort of like I like a really nice steak and a, a really well-cooked, you know, premier meal, but I also like a good Big Mac now and then. And there's sure. nothing wrong and there's nothing good about a Big Mac. Let's but it sometimes it just tastes really really good. And so when I want to relax, when I want to kind of garbage out on the weekend, and I've been watching significant movies all week, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll plop down and watch some crappy horror movie from the 80s because I love it. I mean, the Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I love that movie. The, it's my favorite it is one. one of the most insane movies ever. It makes no sense. Oh. It doesn't even, like, if you try to track it chronologically, <laughs> it doesn't make sense at all. Tom Atkins as the star is so out of place. Sir, we've had another misfire. (laughs) It's yeah, it's just it's it's just such an enjoyable comfort food movie that I I would I would never try to convince somebody it's a well made quality film, but boy is it fun to watch. It's Kevin, it's the best Halloween movie. I mean, it is fantastic. (laughs) I it's my favorite. Uh, you know, and what, one of the unique things in that film is there is footage of the actual Don Post, uh, manufacturing place where they're making the mask that are seen in the film and they're actually making the mask that kids were buying at Spencer's gifts. Wow. I didn't realize that that was actually the production line of it. That actually is footage. yeah, there's also a, a cameo of Fluffy, the crate creature from Creep Show, in the background in in the in the scenes where they're doing where, before they go to final processing. Yeah, the 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 movie is. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I love that movie. Uh, Commando is year. my favorite film, but I know, you know, it's it's a little goofy and a little over the top. But to me, it was GI Joe brought to life, and it's silly as yeah. it can be, but that's okay. What's some franchises? What's that? I was going to say Commando's a great movie. It's a oh. lot of fun and it's it's peak it's peak Schwarzenegger that that people forget he did. Everyone picks Predator and Terminator, yeah. but that was peak Schwarzenegger. It is. That to me that's the fa- my favorite Arnold movie. I know technically mm-hmm. others are better, but that one is the most it's just a thrill ride, start to finish. 
You know? Oh, yeah. What are some franchises you think should have maybe stopped a long time ago? Like, like and it comes to my Terminator and Indiana Jones. Should those, was those been better left alone years back? Well, I think I, I think the Terminator probably should have puttered out a little bit early. It, it got so convoluted, and they did soft reboots and hard reboots. I really like the third one myself, actually, even though that's that's lesser uh, uh, approved by people. But I think that's about it. Everything kind of post the third one really just started to circle the drain. I'm not as annoyed with like the Crystal Skull for the Indiana Jones movies because I felt that it, it encapsulated the 50s just as much as the others encapsulated the 30s and 40s. Uh, I, I, I do kind of roll my eyes at, a, at an 80-year-old Indiana Jones. It's at yeah. a certain point, they, they either needed to cut off the series or reboot it in some way. Uh, the, the Transformers movies, I don't know if they should have stopped making them, but they certainly should have taken it away from Michael Bay. Oh, you know, that little five-minute sliver in the middle of Bumblebee where they're G1 Transformers, that should have been all the movies. Well, the, the Bumblebee's, in my opinion, the best made of the Transformers movies, partly because it's not done by Michael Bay. And not to say nothing against Michael Bay, because it's everything against Michael Bay. He's a convoluted, confusing filmmaker Yes, that... Is is his stuff is bombastic and stupid, and I I, yeah, I find it very hard to watch. I was on the set of the first one, and I'm in the background uh -huh. of one of the first one of the first movie, and I can tell you in person, he's an extreme jerk. I mean, he treats <laughs> his treats his crew just horribly. Uh, you know, I I don't know, but and and a friend of mine drives Bumblebee in all of them. And, and I talked to him a couple of days ago. He's on the set of the one now. He says it will absolutely be the worst Transformers movie ever made. He's never worked on anything more unorganized. Wow. So wow. it's just going farther down the toilet, I guess. Let me ask, were you in the, were you in the scene with uh, the big explosions and uh, the too much of CGI going on? I was in the scene. Uh, I was there for when they shot. The, remember the Bumblebee on two wheels in the tunnel, uh, oh, okay. which is downtown Los Angeles. And then the scene where the parents are being interviewed at the end, like in between the credits while the credits are rolling. Oh. I was okay, there yeah. for both of those things. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Kevin, tell us when all you are on the air here on 1029. Well, I, you can hear me uh, occasionally on Friday mornings, uh, but I am putting the whole show on KRN every Saturday at 7 a.m. until 8 a.m. So if you want to catch up on what I have to say about the latest movies and uh, some new releases on DVD and Blu-ray, you can check that out Saturdays at 7 a.m. Or you can listen to the archives at fatguysatthemovies.com. Hey, let me ask you about this. Why did DC seem to struggle so much with their superhero movies compared to Marvel right out of the gate seemed to know what to do? Well, I, I think the biggest reason is there was no big picture behind the DC movies, which makes no sense when you look at it because DC owns, Warner Brothers owns everything. Warner Media owns all of DC, whereas Marvel was split up among multiple different uh, franchise or studios when it started, but... DC kept giving different properties to different directors and they just kind of ran it and wanted to do their own thing with it, which is why you have things like in man of steel, Superman getting his powers from the atmosphere and not the red, yellow sun and all that kind of nonsense, 
Whereas when Marvel Studios, which was part of Marvel, uh, they got Kevin Feige in charge, and he's like, we're going to do this, and we're going to plan ahead, and we're going to have a, a general idea and a game plan from the beginning, and we're not going to let the, the stories stray too much away from that. And that's how you got Paramount doing Thor and Iron Man, and you had Universal doing the Hulk, and you had uh, Disney ended up kind of buying it all and consolidating it. But because you had a general idea of where it was all going to go, and you were planning to connect all the movies yeah. from the beginning, that's why it worked so much better. Whereas DC was already knee-deep into the, the Batman franchise with Christopher Nolan, and then they handed it over to Zack Snyder for Man of Steel, and he was very polarizing. And then they basically gave him the reins to everything. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it, it, it was just it wasn't planned out. And then they both rushed it and took too long at the same time. Uh, that, that's the, that, that's, I think the big reason, uh, there was no supervisor at the beginning. I want to see if you picked up on this at all. To sure. me, the dark Knight, right? Which is freaking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. If you ever notice that if you look at the pattern, skyfall is a remake of the dark Knight. Oh, that's interesting. I've never think about I've it. I've never considered Dark Knight. I, I honestly, I'd have to, I'd have to remunerate on that for a while and contemplate both movies. I can see that being the case um, to a to a degree. Well, sure. Remember I mean, when the bad guy is, you know, is is captured and he wanted to get captured and he ends up back at the MI six or you know all that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, all of those elements are there. It basically is a remake of The Dark Knight. Huh. Very cleverly done. Very cleverly done. Although, you know what's interesting, and I'll point this out with, with Skyfall. Skyfall is as good of a movie as it is. It sets the Bond franchise up for failure because it it starts to develop James Bond too much as a as a character. The follow-up was not very good. I didn't like that well, one really. And that's why you, you, the, the reality is James Bond is he's a sociopath. He kills for a living and goes home and sleeps like a baby. He's a womanizer right. and a drunk. Sure. You know, these are things that are not great things to <laughs> be, but it, they, they make a nice little spy character. But if you develop him too much, you ruin the character or you, you start to recognize his fatal flaws. Whereas as an archetype, he works better kind of just sailing through the movie. Now we're talking with Kevin Carr, fat guys at the movies. Before we go, I want to know what do you think are the top five best movies? And then I want to know what your favorite movies are. Well, here's the thing. Um, I, I don't discern the top five best movies versus what my favorites are because now there's certain ones like I said, Halloween three that I would never say that that's the best movie ever, but I love watching. Oh, it's great. Um, so th these are obviously biased to my own perspective uh, because all five of these that I'm going to list are good quality movies that were made. Um, and, and I'll go from from the the first one, the Star Wars. We've been talking about that mm -hmm. because it was so impactful for me as a child it defined my childhood certainly the first one and then the second was was so very good 
uh, Empire Strikes Back, oh. even though if you look at the chronology, that one doesn't work out either. It's great, though. <laughs> it's great, though. But I love the series, so I got to put that as, it, for me, it's it's the one that's dearest to my heart. Sure. Um, I would say that the second best movie is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. I talk about this a lot, especially around Halloween. It is near perfect in terms of a movie because yep. it it moves, it's terrifying, it's a, a effective, it's great science fiction and great horror, amazing special effects, and rewatchable to you know the, the highest degree. My son's favorite movie. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, another one that I put on the list is number three. I'd say it's a wonderful life. It's, uh, it's, it's corny and it's cheesy, but it has staying power for sure. I mean, that movie's what over 60 years old. It's, it's been around for decades and, uh, you know, I watch it every Christmas still makes me cry. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Uh, let's go with number four psycho. (laughs) I I like horror movies. I'm a big horror movie buff. Uh, and psycho was so, well done because of its simplicity and it's again paced incredibly well and scary uh but also it works within the framework of of cinema history and then let's go with number five this one's tough because this is where i'm starting to you know really spin off onto ones that nobody puts on list one of my favorite movies of all times is boogie nights yeah, I know it's that from movie. Nineteen, yeah, nineteen ninety-seven. It takes. It talks about the. It's about the adult film industry in the eighty and the seventies as they go into the eighties when they go from film to video, and it has such expert directing and brilliant acting. This is when I knew Mark Wahlberg was actually a good, good actor. Um, it's raw. It's funny. It's heartbreaking, uh, it, and it's probably one of the best things that P.T. Anderson has done, even though a lot of people would look to his later film career. I, I look towards Bo- Boogie Nights. Was it Burt Reynolds in that? It was fairly controversial, I think. He he was. And I, I can't remember whether he won an Academy Award, but I'm pretty sure he was nominated for Academy Award as the, as the adult film director. And what's terrifying is the, Boogie Nights came out in 1997, which means it was 19 years from when it starts in the, the the movie and boogie nights is like what 24 years old now so it's longer time has passed from when that movie was made than from when that movie was made and when it takes place so i like your list i'm thinking though you got to work in jaws somehow jaws is great i yeah, mean jaws <laughs> you got to work in raiders of the lost ark Raiders of the Lost Ark is also a great movie, yeah. Uh, Tombstone. Tombstone's good. I, I don't know if I'd put it on my list, but it is uh, a, a... I think what's so great about Tombstone is it's that classic Western, but shot like a modern contemporary Western with with the cinematography and, and the look to it. Uh, but but it doesn't it doesn't get overly morose and heavy. It goes back to the the fun western as well. People need to look out for this Val Kilmer movie that's coming out. I guess about his life. Yes. You know, speaking and then speaking of Val Kilmer, my last one wow. that I would definitely put on the list. And I was a cop for ten years, and I think this is the strongest cop movie ever made, and that's Heat. Here's here, here. This is one thing. This is there's what's interesting about 
everybody in any situation, everybody has blind spots. And there's movies that I've missed over the years. I've never, I've actually never seen Heat. Oh my gosh. Um, Partly because it's like a three-hour movie, and I have to, you know, I'm like, well, I got to block off time. That's your homework, it. buddy. I mean, I'm telling yeah. you, this movie, from a cop point of view, it is extremely accurate and well done. It's not unrealistic, and it, and then basically, you know, it involves the police getting lucky to get onto these yeah. guys, which is so accurate in real life. You know, it's not always this great detective work. Sometimes you just get lucky, and man, and and a and a shootout scene that is hard to beat. I've heard nothing but good things about Heat, and that's one that I will admit is in is in my blind spot. It's one of those movies because it came out what ninety eight is that ninety five? I believe ninety five. So it was before I started doing movie reviews. I had, uh, you know, it was it was right at the time when I was getting married. And I, I wasn't going to as many movies as I could, and then I just hadn't caught up on it. So, Boy, that sounds apology. familiar. <laughs> hey, great to talk to you. Kevin Carr, Fat Guys at the Movies. You can hear him Friday mornings with Toby here on the uh, First News, and then also Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. for a full hour reviewing movies and all the latest. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Scott Romine for Guatney Unplugged. See you guys next week. You're listening to Guatney Unplugged on News Radio 102.9 KARN with Scott Romine. Brought to you by Guatney Automotive Group.